Hello and welcome to the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who's passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental well-being. This week on the podcast I'm talking to James McIntosh, the owner and founder of McIntosh Yarn and also the author of Knit and Nibble. You can find a link to James's website and any of the patterns and yarns we discuss in the show notes alongside more information on mindfulness and the evidence base for it. Please note that during our conversation, we talk about depression, homophobia and bereavement, but also lots about knitting. So hi, James. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to see you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm busy on a sleeve at the minute. I'm doing a good, lovely raglan jumper, trying to trying to recover from second sleeve syndrome. Have you ever had it? I have. I've definitely had second sock syndrome. I would say more than second sleeve. I do tend to knit top down raglans, and then you've got it's all attached, and I feel like it's easier to see. I just need to do it now. But second socks, definitely. <laughs> I'm doing a, a bottom up jumper. And okay. a really nice bright one because I just want more color in my life at the moment. Yeah. But what I've always found is with we second sleep is a problem. So I've come up with a new idea and mm-hmm. I think it's quite clever. So do the ribbing on the cuff on one and then on the other, right? And then there's two sets of increases as you go. So do the first set on one sleeve and then the second the first one and the other one and then the second and then knit to so many centimeters in one and the same to the other and then you know take off your four stitches in each row and then move up the first decrease and then that's how I'm doing it so I'm doing so like, kind of two at a time two at a time tango. Yeah. that sounds very clever so you beat the, se- the second sleeve syndrome so you don't have to do the yeah. same thing all over again also I'm not great at remembering I know in theory I'm following a pattern but making sure the increases are exactly the same on the second one. I'm not sure that always happens. That's because you write them out. Oh, right? yeah. No numbers. Very and I put good. Plus Very two on the increases or a minus two next to the row number. And I just stroke them out as I go. Oh, that's definitely sensible. Very well, good. You've got a whole process. I would love to hear, James, where your story with knitting began. It began five years ago. Okay. And... I would, I've never knit in my life. I always loved a hand knit jumper. There is something special about a hand knit jumper. So even but, before you started, you were an appreciator of that. Oh, I loved, everybody is. loved a jumper. You see, the problem was I became very famous, very young, very quickly and won more world awards than I could arguably mentally cope with at the time. Mm. And I say that now, looking back, I'm 43 and a half at the moment. Mm-hmm. You see, what I've learned is the half is really important now. <laughs> it's like, you know, because I'm not 44. <laughs> so, no, you know, it's, it's not that I'm turning seven. It's I'm not 44. <laughs> I, my degree was in home economics okay. and marketing. And oh, I worked in the Good Housekeeping Institute and the Cordon Bleu Cookery Schools. And then... I went freelance and my first client and oh we lasted for years together was Arga Cookers. Mm-hmm. I was worked my way up to being the global ambassador for Arga and I launched Arga all over the world, America, across Europe, Canada, and I was the man that brought Arga to China. 
I worked freelance and I also presented food TV in China. Um, I was the only Westerner that I think has ever done it. I used to get 100 million viewers a week on my TV shows. And I mean, the numbers are... Yeah, you can't even conceive of those. No, there's 1.8 billion people. Yeah. And I got less than 10% of them watching my shows. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it yeah. wasn't quite Saturday Kitchen, you know, but yeah, sure. um, it was huge. Well, I brought all of the business home to my native Northern Ireland. I'm from a farm in the middle of nowhere, but I live in London in Peckham, mm. in the posh part, as we call it. <laughs> and I brought all the business home. And it was very clear that uh, because I'm gay, that the business wasn't welcome. In Northern Ireland? In Northern Ireland. And oh, okay. I have letters from senior elected Northern Irish officials, denying meetings, denying investment, denying, it was just awful. And they publicly shamed me and they hung me out to dry and they sullied my name. And one day I just couldn't function anymore. I collapsed and I could not move my leg down the bed for a few weeks. My head was very dark. It did not make sense. I did not know what to do. And if I did know what to do, I didn't have the energy to do it. Mm. I was diagnosed with what was called a moderately severe depressive episode. Mm. And I spent a full year in bed. It was little I haven't watched on Netflix in that year, five years ago. Because I couldn't do anything else. Until I decided, oh, let's try knitting. Well, I found a pair of chopsticks and a bit of string in the flat, looked on <laughs> YouTube, learned how to cast on. Thomas Mayo the half came home from work. Thomas is a doctor. We'll chat about him in a bit. Yeah. And I remember wiggling this cast on something or other on him and go, I did this today, love. And he goes, brilliant. Let's get the wool. Well. So he ran with it. He would Because you'd done anything. something. Yes. And what on earth made it, why was it knitting, do you think? Because what else can you do in bed when you're stuck? Yeah, I suppose so. You see, I It wasn't like you tried other things and then that was the one that stuck. No, I was so scared, so anxious, so afraid, and my head was so black with depression that I couldn't leave my bed. Yeah. I couldn't leave the bedroom. It was, the anxiety was overwhelming. Anyway, Tommy got me beige alpaca and the big 12 millimeter needles, you know. We bought an Erica Knight book on men's knits and we knit a jumper and it, well, I couldn't read a pattern really at that point. I no. still have a jumper. It's a god awful thing. As I quoted to Knitting Magazine once and it's <laughs> 15 sizes too big. You, you look like a Von Trapp child with hand knitted curtains for your garb. It's horrible. But, but you know what? sounds like it served a very significant purpose though. Oh, yes. It and kept it's you here. back in my wardrobe. But it allowed me to love myself again. And when I first put that awful thing on, a creation that I had made, even though it was beige, I looked in the mirror and I thought, I made this. Mm. I am worth something that I made for me. Mm. And, you know, that beige allowed me to start to get a wee glimpse of colour back into my world. Mm. I was going to the Maudsley Hospital every Thursday. I never really expected to be an outpatient of the Maudsley Hospital. But you know, it was brilliant. They put me on a year of psychodynamic psychotherapy. Why do these words need to sound so clinically 
electrolyzing, you know, like yeah. lobotomy. Um, but it was nothing like that. I mean, if they'd called it self-improvement or yeah. something like that, I would yeah. have found it easier to go. But I had a therapist who was brilliant. She was tough. She was tough. And she helped me realize that many times in life, I was not wrong. That because I was different, because I'm gay in my native Northern Ireland, that my thoughts and my feelings were worth something and that I was worth something. So I came home one night and what I, I really appreciated about psychodynamic psychotherapy was you would do your R, it was a Thursday I went, and then you'd have a whole week to think about what you'd done in that R, mm-hmm. to come back and complain next week. And then she would ask you why you were complaining and how you were feeling. But the key to it was that week in between. Mm. So I would do a bit of my knitting at home. And I realized that as a stitch is tangible and vital in a knitted project, so my feelings were tangible to me. Mm. And if that stitch wasn't there, the whole thing would unravel. Yeah, that's true. And it would fall apart. So my thoughts and my feelings were worth something to me and part of me. And I joked one night and said, this is knititation. Mm. Knitting for fidgeters. You see, I've got this busy brain. It was always busy. It was always too fast. Mm. And I can't sit there and do this meditation malarkey or this mindfulness. Mm. I So you tried to do that, had you, before? Oh, oh, oh yes. And I'll tell you a bit about that in a second. That doesn't work. But one stitch and then another allows a sense of calm. It stops me fidgeting. Mm. So I realized if I knit consciously and mindfully, which means no television, no radio, Mm. consciously feeling my feet on the floor, my bum in the seat, my back in the chair, the needles, the wool flowing through my fingers, and accept those feelings and sensations in my body without judging, analyzing, or changing them, Mm. or evaluating them, just accept them. Yeah that it will not solve the world's problems, but it will help me solve mine. And that I will be able to cope. Mm-hmm. Well, I got out of bed, I got my life back. But the bit in the middle of all of this is Thomas, my other half. Mm-hmm. Thomas is a senior consultant physician in a large central London teaching hospital. And he's also a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians. Thomas's inpatients are geriatrics. And his outpatients are related to autonomics. That's faints, blackouts, and dizzy spells to you and me. Mm -hmm. Well, Thomas is very into his mindfulness. And he's the only NHS consultant that we know of that has taken mindfulness outside of psychiatry and into clinical medicine. And Thomas uses mindfulness to treat chronic illness and chronic pain. And he he practices his mindfulness for three hours a day, every day. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. We've just celebrated 10 years together last week. Congratulations. 
Thank you. It is an achievement. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> so, Thomas, for every night and morning, I have watched him do an hour of mindfulness before mm-hmm. bed, when he wakens up, and an hour at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And I have seen the fruits of this in his life, mm-hmm. in my life, and in our lives together. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do this. And he would go, oh, James, you have to do this. We tried the mindful movements. You know, we do the lower cobra on the floor. And yeah. I wasn't having any of this. Mm. It didn't work for me. As yeah. we say in Northern Ireland, it did not float my boat. Yeah. The knitting malarkey works for me. Mm. And knitting as a form of mindfulness, not as a distraction technique, works yeah and how did you guys was that a combination of the two of you like was that Thomas adding his mindfulness slant because it sounds like when you're doing it like that it is a very specific way of doing knitting it's not about you know how most people do knitting watching tv or you know it is a very much a mindfulness method of knitting it's very specific I do. yeah uh, I mean I get out of bed in the morning yeah I make myself a cuppa Mm-hmm. And I sit in my office and just do an hour's knitting. Okay. And it, that's it, doing it mindfully. Yeah. Like Thomas yeah. does his meditation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. then I'll watch the news after that. And, you know, the news is on a loop at that time of the morning. So you're not going to miss much. Mm-hmm. And if you, what I learned was if I set my mind correctly at the start of the day, the rest of the day flows. Mm. Now, what's really interesting about my story is there is no evidence that's been peer-reviewed or anecdotal that we have found that shows how knitting or mindfulness can get you out of depression, right? Mm -hmm. There is evidence to suggest that mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, Will, del- um, will reduce the statistics of someone who's had moderately severe and severe depression from suffering again, mm-hmm. right? Okay. What this has done for me is it got me better. This mm. is my story. We cannot say this medically, but yeah. this is my testimony and my story, and I am alive, mm. and I am well, and I am healthy mm-hmm. because of meditation. Mm-hmm. I lost my business over what happened. I've been able to start a business. Mm-hmm. It's doing brilliant. Yeah. I mean, Macintosh will hand dye all the wool myself. It's pure, beautiful British do wool. Do you? I do. In my flat in Peckham, Derrimore's. Uh, do you know Derrimore's? The, yeah. the, the wool uh, retailer, well, they've yeah. just started to stop me. And wow. we're doing a whole campaign about living life with more colour. But how do you have more colour in your life? Because colour is life. Colour is health. Colour is healing. Mm. And I have learnt the more colour I can surround myself with, mm. the better, because it helps me stay alive. Mm. So that's another therapeutic part of the knitting mm. process, surrounding yourself Absolutely. with colour. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have times when I'm like, I need to knit with pink and yellow. <laughs> yellow next because that's what I want to be around you do spend you have a long relationship with the knitting project when it's a big garment don't you like it's in your hands in your life you you see you may have the luxury of that I don't do you know how you have to be fast (laughs) I have to be fast yeah do you know how many tension squares I have to knit for (laughs) shop 
pillars to see it. Um, anytime a new fibre comes to me, I need to play with it. So I, I'm doing a sleeve a day at the moment. So that is oh, quite, wow. I, I know. That's a lot um, of it's So yes, I have my meditation, my mindful knitting first thing in the morning. And then I do a lot of reading on the computer while I am speed knitting to get garments for mm. photography. Yeah. And has your relationship with knitting changed now that it's, I don't know how, when the yarn brand started, how long ago was that? You see, what happened was I got better and then Thomas and I decided to go on holiday. Mm -hmm. And we, oh, we, we decided to go to Pride in Tel Aviv. Okay. The plane landed in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. We turned on the phone and Thomas's mum had dropped dead. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, Thomas is German, what do we do? stay here go back to London go to Germany we did not know what to do she yeah. died at home the police took six weeks in Germany just to make sure all was okay and it was just awful we went to Jerusalem it was a, it's a beautiful city to go to when you're in that sort of situation we had the funeral in Germany and the day after my mum was diagnosed with late-term ovarian cancer oh I'm so sorry and nine months to the day that Thomas's mother passed mine did and it was the first week of lockdown there were no oh flights to London to Belfast. I held my knitting tighter. Mm. I was the only one I remember in Heathrow Terminal 5 that day. Wow. I got home. My mum, who was 71, looked 95. There was no morphine available. My mother screamed for hours in my arms because the health system in Northern Ireland had collapsed. Oh, I'm so sorry. We were not allowed a funeral. We were not allowed neighbours, we were not allowed family, we were not allowed support. We were on our own and my knitting stayed in my hands. And that stitch was a breath and the next one was a scream of pain and the next one was a loving memory. And if it wasn't for that knitting. But I have not been depressed since. Mm. I managed to get through this horrendous tsunami. Mm. I did not get depressed again. I then managed to give up smoking by stopping, by knitting. I had wow. smoked for 23 years, 20 a day. I am six months and two weeks smoke and nicotine free. Wow. Do I see the health benefits? Yeah, don't cough on the pillow every morning. And that wee bit of my finger's not yellow anymore. <laughs> There's more to this knitting malarkey than meets yeah. the eye. So when did I start my business? I started Macintosh Wool two years ago, but I had to take a year out because of mum. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you know what? Wow. It's it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. And we just want to spread the good news about knitting yeah. and be human and tell people it's OK to cry. It's OK to break down. Just hold something in your two hands and make a stitch because that mm. stitch is your life. Yeah. So you really have yeah. kind of kept yourself going with the knitting through all oh, of yeah. that trauma. And, and I mean, the best credit to a lot of it was, there was somebody in the Olympics who decided to do my marketing for me. You know, <laughs> yes. I wasn't the only boy knitting. You know, there was another one. And I just sat back and I just thought, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> going. But I've never seen items knit as fast in my life as what was coming off a certain Instagram profile. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. So, Tom Daly was doing the marketing for you. Did you, uh, like I did, get hundreds of your friends who don't have nothing to do with knitting sending you? Have you seen this at the Olympics? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, just because he looks better than me with his top off is not my problem. <laughs> the rest of us just don't do it in speedos. <laughs> so no, knitting has saved my life. Wow. I would have committed suicide by now without it. Mm. Men don't talk. Men can't talk. And I was watching a lot of the um, Parliamentary Select Committee yesterday about Yorkshire cricket. Oh, yes. And I was very interested to hear the guy who was racially abused. He said, for a lot of my life, I went along with things they said because they told me it wasn't racist. Mm. And I know that from homophobia in Northern Ireland. Mm. It was okay all my life for people to call me a poof or a fruit. Mm. And I had to accept that was okay. And it's only now that we are getting the freedom to say, I am worth something. Don't call me that. Mm. And knitting has given me the strength for that. Wow. So that's amazing. Oh, we'll get great jumpers too. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, the other stuff, you know, and I think it can take some time to go back over all those memories and think, actually, that wasn't okay. Yeah. And I don't like doing more stitch because there's too much back and forwards and I use that as anger management. <laughs> and I mean, does does this the type of knitting make a difference to you? Do you does it matter whether it's like you said, more stitch or stockinette or a pattern or colour work or or not particularly? It depends what I do. I I there is not enough in the market for men. It is really hard to get a nice pattern for a bloke. Mm. You know, it's the market's barren for it. I, I wrote a book on it, Nibble. But apart from that, there's not much. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a men's knitting magazine for a while. I don't know if it's still around. Really? No, it's gone. Oh, has it? Um, you know, then we had... Um, I try to stick to blokes and gender neutral. I will expand into other things, but I'm a small company, you know, and I'm only just starting to get knitting patterns together now for my brand. Yeah. I can't stand intarsia. I just can't. <laughs> if those problems get all messed up, and I just, I don't want that in my life. Yeah, fair but enough. people seem to like it. Yeah. I do love a good bit of fair isle. I mean, a multicolored stranded yoke can just bring so much joy. It can tell yeah. a story and you can knit your mood in it, you know, yeah. as long as you know your pattern repeats. I hate doing the mathematics for knitting, but Thomas does that for me. He's okay. great with the calculator and he enjoys yeah. that. For patterns, um, do you mean? For developing patterns? Yeah. Or, yeah. And For calculating sizes. yards and that kind of thing. I mean, if he can do morphine doses and stuff that's important in hospital in his head and he can he can do shaping of garments as sure. well and setting down. I just don't enjoy that bit. Mm. Um, does he knit? No, I've banned him from knitting. Oh, okay. It's your thing. It's my thing. He doesn't have time, to be honest. He does crochet, which I'm trying to learn. Okay. Uh, Do you crochet? Well, I have, and I do occasionally. And if I was making a toy or something 3D, I might choose crochet over knitting, maybe. So I've done a couple because I wanted the thing to give to somebody or something. Um, I don't find it as I don't choose it anywhere near as often as knitting I also think in terms of the physical 
action, I would get more kind of RSI type pain if I did it. And I think I prefer the fabric of knitting personally. I'm yeah. trying to learn crochet at the moment. And yeah. if any of your listeners would like to come, I will cook lunch if you'll show me. Because <laughs> every online video I've looked at on how yeah. to do a granny square, I get lost. No, okay. I'm not daft. I've got a Master of Arts degree. Yeah. I can follow things, but they show you once and then they go really fast and finish it off. Okay. Like, I need to see what a treble is again, please. Yeah. So so and I think of- we're, you know, I started knitting before uh, I think YouTube was a thing, but I think it is much easier generally to learn from, because I think I learned from a, a book. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think it's much easier to learn from seeing somebody. And I've had a couple of people who've asked me to teach them to knit over Zoom. And I'm thinking mm, that really would be quite challenging. I think it's better to watch a video produced by somebody who has a proper camera that's on their hands, for example. I for oh for three years until lockdown i haven't restarted i ran a knitting group in peckham okay yeah and we had up to 96 came i mean it was wow. huge yeah but everybody needed to learn to knit right yeah so you start with the tension square if you can get your tension you can go on to a hat mm-hmm. well there was 96 drop stitches one night i gave up i bought everybody a jaeger bomb at the bar i couldn't <laughs> It was 96 drop stitches. I thought, so they no. were all new knitters, were they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. That's, I mean, that's a lot. I'm running a therapeutic knitting group in a primary school and I found eight new knitters, you know, a lot. They are children, so they've obviously got other, you know, I have to also help them find the scissors or, you know, to, uh, allow them to go to the toilet and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I think you do need an element of one-to-one support when you're just starting, don't you? And then once you've got... The flow of things. I think the other thing that's challenging over Zoom is sometimes you do just need to hand your knitting to somebody who knows what on earth has happened when it's gone wrong <laughs> and get them to dear, help you. Dear listener, we're actually recording this on Zoom as I George drop this sleeve because you can see it as you're interviewing me. There's a drop <laughs> stitch, is there? No. Of course there is. Yeah, fix it up later at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's for photography. <laughs> um, no, you, you do. And there is something caring about teaching someone to knit. You know, there is, I'm interested in your well-being. Let me work with you. It's about a friendliness. It's, you can talk about things that are personal. Mm-hmm. You can talk about things that are deep. You can talk about life, love, and, um, you know, washing cold water and dry flat and rinse and repeat you know (laughs) yeah life is those stitches do you feel that people talk more in a knitting group kind of environment because I suppose I wonder whether the lack of kind of intense eye contact and people kind of talk as they work on something and sometimes that makes people more likely to share something because they're busy with their hands I had one lady came to knitting group one night her husband had died that morning Oh my goodness. And she just wanted to be at her knitting group. Yeah. Because she knew she could talk. And what an honor. What an honor it is in yeah. life to, to start something where somebody will tell you that. I just gave her the biggest hug. Mm. And that right. they've f- found, you know, it's a way of giving someone comfort because it's really hard, isn't it, when someone's been through a bereavement from the outside to know what an Tell me about it on the inside. Helpful. Yeah, exactly. And that's a whole other story. But even from the outside thinking, how can I be helpful to this person? But I guess sitting alongside them and knitting 
a even without at a time it's yeah. just one stitch at a time mm. and it's not a race unless you own the world company unless you're um, <laughs> and has that changed how you feel about the knitting james i'm wondering i have my knitting yeah and i have my work knitting okay so they're separate yeah they are yeah. um work is about color blocks and stitch patterns my knitting is about a jumper for me yeah no um as we talk I, i've sent some stuff out to designers and i'm absolutely shocked that uh a two skein shawl has been knit in three days and when we come off this interview i'm going to have a look to see what it is because i've been sent a picture of it and i can't wait oh, I, don't well. know how, <laughs> I don't know how brian smith designs has knit that fast wow that's very fast i know yeah is knitting ever unhelpful for your mental health no 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 because do you know what the best bit is if you get really peeved off with a pattern you yeah do you just put it in a bag i've got 32 of them my phd is my project half done so no i haven't found it i have knit everywhere i mean everywhere yeah i've flown around the world knitting mm-hmm. there is no problem getting needles on a plane i have i used to worry a lot about that though <laughs> I did bring a crochet hook once because I was thinking, well, they're not, surely they're not going to take that off me. <laughs> oh, no, you just cried, security. It always works. <laughs> okay. Don't take my needles away. Um, I've knit in nightclubs. I used to knit in the Royal Vauxhall Tavern um, and discounts <laughs> to get things finished. I, oh, I've, uh, the night bus used to be really good, the N63 night bus in London. Yeah. I've knit, I've knit everywhere. Do you know, you only ever get a smile and you mm. are just sending love from your knitting needle to somebody else. And there was one night and these blokes got on the N63 night bus. Thomas and I were coming home from the nightclub and um, let's just say they looked like they were well-oiled gentlemen with alcohol. Okay. Yeah. And he was a big bruiser. And there was a fight about to start. And he looks at me and he goes, my granny used to do that. Can I feel your balls? And I said, excuse me? I said, my merino? <laughs> you know what? He calmed down. He sat beside me and he said, that world just feels like what my granny used to knit for me. And she wow. was really good to me. That's amazing. You know, I was about to die. <laughs> <laughs> Diffused everything. You know what? Knitting makes you smile. It gives people hope. And I think especially during and after the pandemic, Mm. especially with the climate crisis, you know, we need to look at our fibres carefully now. Mm. I know not everybody can afford new wool, but we need to consider man-made fibres carefully. Mm -hmm. We need to consider what the petrochemical industry makes. We need to consider making yarns out of kerosene. And we need to be careful about this because the fossil fuel it takes to make them and they don't biodegrade. Mm. And we need to look at this. And it is, I don't have an answer. Yeah. I know the price of hand-dyed pure British wool. Yeah. Not everybody can afford that. Yes, it's expensive. It is, and I'm not yarn shaming. I'm looking at a debate. 
There's also a medical research paper that's out. Uh, you can it's easy, very easy to Google, and it, it shows where there is acrylic fiber in human lung tissue. Okay. Right. This is this is serious, you know. Um, but we have to look at this sensibly. We have to look at microplastics. But all this will start to happen. Mm. You know, COP twenty six. I must say, to get as far as they did with so many nations and so many cultures and so much invested financial interest for countries, I was impressed. Knitting, for me, is mental health, but knitting is life. It is family. It is society. It is environment. It is industry. It is economics. It is farming. It is food production. It is, it is it politics. Knitting is not just one thing. Yeah, you can make... I don't know, demonstrate your values, I suppose, and make choices about your politics by what yarn you choose and what fibres you're using. And and what pussy hat you wear. And that yeah. I was proud of. You know, the pussy hat, the yes. pink one, when Trump was a little bit crude with his, as he called it, locker room talk, unexcusable ignorance. Do you want to just explain for people who don't, uh, know about that because it was a few years ago now wasn't it when Trump was when elected when Trump was elected he said the most disgusting thing about females mm-hmm. about where he wanted to grab them and he excused it by saying it was locker room talk well I'm yeah. sorry that was degrading misogynistic and just quite frankly disgusting mm-hmm. so the ladies in America decided right book we do best knitting Mm -hmm. But they do other things better. So what they were doing was actually playing to the stereotype and just saying, don't mess with us. So they developed what was termed the pussy hat. Mm -hmm. It's what we would know shape-wise as a teabag hat. So it's a large rectangle folded over and it was in pink. Mm -hmm. And they used a yarn originally from a wonderful company I know very well in South America called Malabrigo. And they developed this. And they wore it in their thousands to the rallies to mm-hmm. protest against Trump. And if something so innocent as knitting can make a colourful sea of statement across mm-hmm. the world, well, what hope and is there for us in those stitches? And mm. how blessed are we to knit those stitches? Yeah. So it really is knitted politics. It's knitted yeah, life. It yeah. is visibility to the to the invisible in society. Mm. It is saying, I am here, this is my statement and you will see me, I will knit because I am worth something like those knitted stitches are worth something. Mm. Oh, I'm all for knitting. Yeah, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And it's so important and has been throughout your life in so many different ways, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I always ask on the podcast about a significant project. If you wouldn't mind telling me, it sounds like there's been a lot. No, there was um, one. There's one? Okay. There was one. I grew up with a lady called Kerry. Mm-hmm. And she, she married a friend of ours called Dean at the farm next door. Mm-hmm. And when mum died, she came with a casserole. Mm-hmm. And she jumped out of the car and said, James, I know there's COVID. I am giving you a hug because you need one. Well, Kerry came to see me every day and it was lockdown. And I wanted to say thank you when I got back to London and I knit a blanket. And it's, it was known as a Hugh Afghan shift blanket. 
Okay. I can't remember who designed it. I can look at it. But I bought it in Ravelry. Okay. And it was mitre squares that mm -hmm. joined together. It was huge. And it made a cross in the middle and, a, and just a display of color from top to bottom, corner to corner. And it was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And I knitted for Kerry one stitch at a time. It was mm -hmm. all done in garter stitch. So mm -hmm. I could put my grief and my tears into mm -hmm. that without having to think. Yeah. And as this grew and as the colors grew, I realized at the end there was a beautiful yellow cross in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And I, this was my grief blanket, I called it. Mm. And do you know what? The most important bit of that blanket was giving it away. And mm. I gave it to Carrie. And I was just like, I had to give my mum away. Mm. I put my tears and my pain and my feeling and my anger and my happiness and my sad and my worry and my strength. And every fiber of what I was struggling with, I put into that blanket. Mm. And that's amazing, actually, James, the bit about giving it away, because I've had mm. um, a few other people talk about significant projects, um, getting them through bereavements. Yeah, you have to give it away. And then it's um, but I haven't heard anyone else who's given it away. And that's really interesting that, you know, the parallel with having to give your you mother away. to be shared. Mm. grief has to be shared because there were many people love my mum I mean sure. mum was a home economics teacher she was a farmer's wife she ran the ladies group in church she ran the the, the infants and babies and toddlers group in church you know, mum was the community mm. and we were not allowed a funeral do you know what that was like mm. we were allowed 10 minutes in the garden wow. so I had to do something for Kerry, who, who loved my mum too, who I had to do something to make this all, it will never be okay. Yeah. But I had to set mum free mm. in my heart. Yeah. And I did it and I gave it away because the metaphor of if you really love someone, you set them free is not about love and two teenagers falling out when they're going out. It's about losing, deeply mm. losing. But you know, my mum still left me a chapter every day. We talk yeah. about the stitches. Was she a knitter? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, mum knitting and crochet and crafts. And oh, mum was stunning at it and embroidery. Mm. And, yeah. Do you think maybe that planted a seed for you? Like maybe that was why your brain went to that place when you were needing something you could do in your bed? Oh, no. Mum said to me quite clearly, boys don't do that. It's okay. <laughs> So mum came over in the middle of my depression and brought her to John Lewis. And uh, that's how it all started, really. So, you know, yeah. mum helped me a lot with it. And for knit and nibble, mum did some of the knit some of the jumpers for me. Whenever OK, we so you did yes. knit together later on. Well, she did it in Northern Ireland. I did it okay. here. Praise the Lord for FaceTime. And yeah. away we go. Yeah. So, yeah. I hope this hasn't been too heavy a podcast for you. It's Not at all. I think it's it's just amazing how important knitting has been and how you've also really used it very deliberately mindfully intentionally for like you said keeping yourself going saving your life managing some really difficult times discrimination bereavement you know making political pro protest you know it's really but knitting is all of those things and like you said and it more. is 
you know exactly so I think it's really and pr- probably not many of us think about all of those things that often and I guess that is part of the podcast is thinking about actually a lot of knitters really feel it is very significant to them so I don't think you're going to be alone in having you know like I said bereavement something that's come up very often when people talk about significant projects um but I think you've definitely thought about all of these things and the role of knitting a lot more than most people and articulated those thoughts I've got on my knitmackintosh.com website I've got a little bot so when I'm not there you know you can type in questions and the bot will give you answers that I've pre-programmed in yeah and a lot of people use it and what we've noticed when I get up in the morning if I'm not there to answer the questions I get an email with what people have typed so I can get back to them Do you know, people tell me their stories. People tell me about the worry that they can't be with their husband who's had a heart attack and how their knitting's kept them going. Mm. And there is something viral happening, privately viral, that by me being able to tell my story, other people are telling theirs, that people are finding freedom in their knitting and talking about it. And this is all good. This is wonderful therapy. Mm. This is then I am here and then they can wear it. They can wear their story yeah. in bright colours and be proud of it. And rightly so. Yeah. And I think it's something, certainly from my conversation with Betson Corkhill, who... Oh, um, that sounds wonderful. She helped yeah. me start my journey. And um, she talks a lot about therapeutic knitting. And the way she started was by discovering this filing cabinet at a knitting magazine or crafting magazine that where they had all of these letters from people who'd, who were writing about the significance of their story with knitting. And it was a filing cabinet that she discovered and turned into, mm-hmm. you know, the catalyst for the rest of her career, really. Um, but now I guess it's happening more online. So other people can share and interact with those stories more, I think. Whereas previously when they sat in a physical filing cabinet, maybe that was more difficult. What I love most about Betsan was how she struggled to get research published on knitting. So she changed it quite sensibly to, instead of calling it knitting, to a bilateral rhythmic psychosocial intervention. Well, of course everybody wants to fund a bilateral rhythmic psychosocial intervention and give it money. You know, well done you, Betsan. James, I always ask about a knitting high and low. They can be deep and meaningful or entirely frivolous, whatever um, comes to mind for you. I think I've dealt with the lows. Yeah. And they're okay. already. I think I've told you about the love. That's the highs. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I think I've covered that well. Okay. I, I've knit all over the world. Oh, knitting high, lying in the Dead Sea. Um, which was the day after Thomas's mum died, and yeah. I was lying down in the Dead Sea. Yeah. Wow. And how did you keep it dry? I put it up my tummy. <laughs> and you were that point. You only, you only go in up to your knees, and you okay. walk in backwards, and you okay. just sit down. Yeah. And it throws you over. So my whole tummy was dry. And you were knitting there. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Definitely sounds like a knitting, like a once in a lifetime. <laughs> No, Experience. it makes me sound like I'm weird and I need to go back to the Maudsley for more therapy. Sounds like you're a very <laughs> dedicated knitter. It just depends on what spin you put on it, James. <laughs> oh, indeed. Do you find it and you end up striking up conversations with random people uh, because they see you knitting? And the they... most randoms, honestly. I mean, who else knits in a nightclub? I mean, 
there was a very famous gay nightclub back in the 90s called Heaven. Yeah. It's still going. Well, there was a certain sound of music in the 90s, northeast in Heaven. And they were doing a tribute to it in the Royal Vauxhall Tavern one night. But I had a photography sample to do, and I hadn't heard this music in years, and I really wanted to go out and just be a, you know, 20-something again. Yeah. So I, 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 I was clubbing, doing anything. With you. <laughs> to get it finished. And do you know what? It worked. Are there any um, places where you feel like the knitting has helped you, I don't know, feel okay in a place, I don't know, in a doctor's waiting oh, room yeah. or oh, yeah. that, that it's helped? I don't know whether it helped on that night bus, whether you felt... My, my biggest phobia is injection needles. Um, okay. It's a cruel phobia to have. It, it, it's awful. Getting COVID jabs was not easy. Mm. Um, was not easy. I had to get quite a bit of diazepam um, from a doctor. It was, it was not Thomas, by the way. It was not easy um during my depression i needed some dental work done and i couldn't but christine who goes to my knitting group she's a dentist okay and i sit in her chair knitting while she does my dental injections and that's how we do it wow and that helped enough to get you to i still manage it two-year-old you're killing me but it just could do it it just I, i can do it yeah I don't like it, but I can do it. And I do have a shake after. My body just shakes after I have an injection, but I can still get it done. Yeah. And everybody's got something like this. Mm. Everybody. That's amazing. I I was scared about giving up smoking. The thought of being, not being a non-smoker, but the thought about giving up something that I'd done habitually for 20 odd years. Yeah. It did scare me. Mm. But knitting just... A stitch is a breath, a stitch is calming, mm. as that stitch is tangible, so I am. And if I can make this stitch, I can do whatever I need to do. Yeah. That's so, amazing. yes, does that answer your question? It does. And what more. And it feels kind of, um, I don't know whether it's slightly frivolous to ask this question when you've offered so much, but I always end with asking the greatest gift that knitting's given you for the rest of your life. And I guess for you, maybe it's difficult to pin down because it's been oh, no, so that's many easy. things. That's easy, is it? My greatest gift through knitting yeah. is a song that the late and very great Whitney Houston sang. Mm-hmm. And that is once I have learned to love myself, it is the greatest gift of all. And when I've got that, no one, no matter how hard they try, with homophobia, with whatever, Mm-hmm. They cannot take away my dignity because through knitting, I have found me. Mm. And that's the ultimate. It is. Yeah, the key to all of the other things. I have peace in my soul. Mm. You know, and that's that's not an easy thing to find. No. But I've done that through knitting. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, can you just let us know, because I'm sure there'll be lots of people who want to find out about your yarn and your books. Um, and my meditation. Exactly. So just tell um, people what are the best ways to get in touch or to find out what you're up to. Well, just come and see me online at knitmackintosh.com. Okay. So that's knit, K-N-I-T, yeah. M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. Com. Okay. Um, at Nick Macintosh on all the socials. Come and see me. Drop me an email. I normally yeah. say hello. I'm nice and friendly. 
Thank you so much, James. Pleasure. Thank you, Mia. Thank you for listening to the Why I Knit podcast. If you'd like to find out more about therapeutic knitting, you can follow me on Instagram at knitting is therapeutic or check out my website, therapeuticknitting.org. To be notified when a new podcast is released, please subscribe on your podcast app.